Ooh, it's so 1 o'clock, 1300 for the military types on 6-15-2023, Thursday, right? Not doing this on Wednesday anymore. Doing it Thursday now because Thursday is Thursday and Thursday seems to be better. But uh, anyway, um, let's start moving into some of this stuff. And um, first of all, I think that uh, anyone that has questions about the upcoming insanity that will be the um, U.S. election cycle, buckle up. It's only going to get crazier from here. And, you know, whether or not you're uh, into politics or not into politics or whatever, personally, I could care less about politicians and the whole political thing. However, it does have impact on our way of living and our uh, interactions with others internationally. And the fact that we've got people that are supposedly supposed to be uh, exceptional members of society, like that's how they get nominated and whatever else, that are doing things that they shouldn't be doing that could cause, um, you know, kinetic damage to human life or property in the U.S. is problematic. If you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, um, Trump and DeSantis have been going back and forth at each other like a couple of grade school idiots. And it's fine, whatever, go back and forth against each other. But really, when they start throwing in deep fakes and they're throwing out false narratives on stuff, it's where things get really problematic. And again, at the end of this, I'll put the links to all this stuff that you can see. But DeSantis this week came out with a, um, I wouldn't even call it a deep fake, really. I would call it a, I don't know, a well, uh, well-crafted, um, you know, imagery. But it's basically it's pictures of trump and fauci like hugging each other and being all over each other and whatever else now that's not a big thing because we're you know i guess you could say past a lot of that but the concern is that there's an escalation of of uh tactics here and if you're not concerned about it you should be because it, what happens when someone does or says something in a deep fake or edited video or audio or whatever and pushes it out to the masses and the masses think it's real um people respond you could you could incite fear you could incite a riot uh, all that type of stuff and it um the fact that we're doing this and we've already got and this has been validated from our adversaries china and russia and wherever that they want to get in on this and start you know doing what they did for previous elections which it's there like it's just historical fact they mess with elections just is what it is um where does the line get drawn what what happens next do people have to get hurt or property damaged or whatever for this you know for civility to come back into this uh, maybe we've just jumped the cycle on it and it's just too far gone i don't know Okay, first off, uh, let's go into the Venture Beagle with uh, the top 10 from the DBIR this week. And if you don't read Venture Beat, um, Lewis Columbus is an awesome guy, and he does really good, really factual, factual analytical reporting. Um, go read his stuff on Venture Beat. It's good. So this is the 10 takeaways. This was published this week. It's pretty solid. So let's read through this. They are the top 10 takeaways from the Dipper. 83% of breaches are initiated by external attackers looking for quick financial gain. Yeah, absolutely. And what's funny too, and I, I actually have the, the past Verizon 
some dippers in front of me right here. I've got back to I went back to 2018 because I figure five years is pretty relative. Um, if you look at the numbers, it's been pretty much 80 something percent as far as motivation for financial gain for forever. It's not changing. So why does this type of stuff occur? Money. That's what they're after. Um, yes, there's the nation state stuff. And yes, there's the uh, big espionage and intellectual property theft or whatever else. But if you're looking for the large chunk of why stuff keeps occurring, it's because folks can make money with it. Another 84% of breaches target humans as the attack vector using social engineering and BEC strategies, which is email stuff. According to the last two Verizon DBIR reports, so this is going back another year, many breaches involve human error, most of them. According to this year's report, 74% of breaches began through human error. Now, I mean, I don't know what you got to categorize most of, but three quarters, 74%, that's most of my opinion. So social engineering or misuse. In last year's report, the figure was even higher, 82%. Right, The year before that, 2021, Dibber found that 35% of successful breaches started that way. Now, the question becomes, why did it jump up by a factor of pretty much two in that short time frame? Is it that COVID pushed everyone remote and we had more stuff to deal with and there were more vectors and more types of attacks and more, more, more? And that's what leads to additional avenues of compromise and people fall for more stuff. I think logic probably says that that's probably a, a smart assumption to make. Um, however, the fact that those numbers are staying as high as they are is probably for a reason that there's a combination of factors, such as a lot of people are still remote. A lot of people are going to continue staying remote. We're still dealing with lots of things bouncing around and it's easy to get um, targeted. So there's that. One of every five breaches, basically 20%, originate from the inside. So interesting there, like insider threat is about one in five. Um, pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, several vendors are exploring or have acquired companies for strengthening platforms against insider threats. Now, for me, the question is, well, when does, when does a, is that an insider threat from start to finish? Or is that someone that got compromised and someone pivoted on them and became a malicious insider. I think that that, and this is not for Lewis's stuff, this is for the Verizon Dibber, that could skew the numbers, um, I, I would think. System intrusion, web applications, and social engineering are among the leading tax strategies. So again, if you're looking for data, if you're looking for statistics on where to apply your controls and where to plot for the compromise that's coming your way, there you have it. I mean, and, and if you follow the DBIR, which I think honestly is like a biblical reference in cyber, like we should kind of have it on the altar of great cyber documents, you're running through this and you can follow the trends and the trends don't change year over year. Uh, there's probably other um, tangential factors that play into that, but really what's what should be the takeaway is if the trends are continuing along the same way, you're either ignoring the reality of the problem or the market is not keeping up with that. And that would be a that would be hard to do with so much growth in this space. Uh, a couple more. So social engineering attack sophistication is growing fast as evidenced by pretexting rapid growth. If you're not familiar with what pretexting is, what they really mean there is that's a fancy term for doing your research on a target. Because we are all so digital, because we have such a big presence online looking at folks and going after stuff to get information, OSINT, whatever, so that you can target is becoming easier. Think about Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and all the stuff we're doing online. 
you continue to increase your presence in Zillow, all this stuff, it's not hard to figure out pretty much the totality of a person, myself included, um, to, to put pretexting together. And then the better your pretexting, like what was the phrase that uh, I think it was Lincoln used? If I'm going to chop down a tree, I'd take five hours to sharpen my axe. The longer you spend doing your research and pretexting and in some cases grooming the target, the more likely you will be to have a successful exploit. Uh, bu -bu 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 -bu. Median cost to victims per ransomware incident more than doubled over the past two years from 26,000 uh, to 26,000, sorry, with 95% of incidents resulting in a loss between one and two and a quarter million dollars. Pretty substantial. 24% uh, of breaches involved ransomware this year, continuing a long-term upward trend as the primary attack strategy. Again, because why? Because this is about money. Ransomware feeds the beast. There's money to be made. Over 32% of all Log4j vulnerability scanning occurred the first 30 days after their exploits release. New exploit hits the street, about 30 days is when it's going to be at its super hypiness, and then it's going to trail off. However, you can still find lots of log4j vulnerabilities out there. 74% of financial insurance industry breaches involve compromised personal data, leading all industries by a wide margin. I think that one's still kind of a nothing burger because everything like that's PII has already been breached so many times over. Honestly, who cares? Um, you know, my 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 mother actually called me yesterday and said hey somebody's got my credit card information what do i do i said does the bank know about it yeah the bank's the one that told me okay then do you have credit monitoring yes i do then shit can the card monitor your accounts and move on with your life because it's already been compromised five times over don't even waste a minute freaking out about it um just be aware stay cognizant and you know the it worked like that's the thing is if you have credit monitoring and your bank is doing their job they notified her because mom lives in Texas and somebody in uh, San Diego or San Francisco one was using her credit card to buy. I think they bought like $80 worth of Popeyes. So I guess they like Popeyes, but whatever. Um, point being, the system worked and that's really all you can do. There was a binding operational directive 2302 issued from CISA to government organizations. And uh, I'll put the link to this in there. But if you look at this, this was, I would say, CISA's kind of thing of putting uh, putting their stuff on the block and saying, look, now in government parlance, if you're not familiar with how this stuff works, when they say a binding directive, there's, it sounds like bingo, bango, bongo, right? There's no way around this. It's binding. And it's not quite binding. It's more binding-ish um, because what happens is you're going to have all these organizations look at the authorities that are in the space and then you're going to have certain ones that are going to start coming up with exceptions and then you're going to have others that will basically throw their weight around depending on who they are and where they sit within that architecture organizationally and say yeah we're kind of doing some of this and not this whatever so it's good that they're doing this huge fan of Jenner's Easterly and everything that they're doing but um, it's not as binding as you would as you would hope. Now, if you read through it, it's 2302, mitigating the risk from internet exposed management interfaces. Tells you the background, the grave risk of the federal enterprise, threat actors have used certain class of network uh, devices to gain unrestricted access to organizational networks to lead full-scale compromise, blah, 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 blah. Now, the scope is where it gets interesting. The requirements in this directive apply only to devices meeting both, and both 
and only are highlighted there uh, of the following criteria. Devices residing on or supporting federal information systems and or networks that belong to one of the following classes. Routers, switches, firewalls, VPN, concentrators, proxies, load balancers, and out-of-band server management interfaces such as ILO or IDRAC. Devices for which the management interfaces are using the network. Protocols for remote management over public internet, including but not limited to basically every protocol you could think of. I'm not going to list them all out. This directive does not apply to web application interfaces used for ma managing cloud service provider CSP offerings included, but not limited to APIs or management portals. So that to me is where a, a significant chink in the armor of this whole thing, right? This the API nowadays kind of is the network. Now the DOD is slightly different than most other organizations because it's very legacy and they are reliant, extremely reliant on old architecture, VPNs, those types of things. So this is a good step forward, but the fact that they flat out say in this binding directive, don't worry about APIs, don't worry about cloud service stuff, that's not going to apply the controls where the controls are most needed, um, to be perfectly frank. And so I hope that there will be a follow-on binding directive that says, by the way, APIs are part of this whole deal. If you're not securing modern infrastructure and you're just worried about legacy, you're ignoring a large percentage of the problem. And the DOD, believe it or not, is actually moving pretty quickly towards a modern-ish enterprise architecture. So, I mean, you've heard of Jedi, right? That was a $10 billion thing. Lots of cloud there. Um, th this can't be ignored. Following on to that, it talks about their zero trust architecture and it talks about the required actions. And then it says what CISA is going to do. But here's another thing that, you know, is worth worth understanding about this federal space. All federal civilian executive branches are required to comply with the following actions for all federal information systems, right? Now think about the scope and scale of that. You're talking huge. Within 14 days of notification by CISA or discovery by an agency of a network management interface and scope for this directive, agencies will take at least one of the following actions. Remove the interface from the internet by making it only accessible from an internal enterprise network, isolated management network. Deploy capabilities as part of a zero trust architecture that enforce access control to the interface through a policy enforcement point, so aligning with NIST 800. Agencies will implement technical and or management controls to ensure that all management interfaces on existing and newly added devices identified the scope for this directive have at least one of the following protections in place. Blah. The interface is removed from the internet by making it only accessible from an internal enterprise network. The interface is protected by capabilities as part of the zero trust architecture. Okay, interesting. Now, here's what CISA says it's going to do. CISA will scan for devices and interfaces in the scope of this directive and notify agencies. Okay. CISA will provide federal agencies a reporting interface and standard mediation plan templates if their mediation efforts exceed required timeframes. Now, here's where you start to see this, this slide. Within two years following the issuance of this directive, CISA will review and update this directive as needed. Within six months of issuance and yearly thereafter, CISA will submit a report on the status of federal civilian executive branch pertaining to their compliance. There's a thing with implementation guidance and whatever else. Again, this is a good document and it's a good, uh, you know, a line in the sand, but it's also, um, you're going to see this shift to the right. You're going to see the teeth 
get kind of whittled down in this quite a bit. And I mean, it says it right there in the document, they're ignoring a large swath of things that are tied into the legacy architecture. Um, so good, but more is needed would be the, I guess, the takeaway to be perfectly frank. However, um, if you're a Beltway Bandit, Booz Allen and Accenture and Mantech and Raytheon and Lockheed and whatever else, man, y'all just got thrown a giant chunk of change because they're going to be staffing that stuff up with a quickness to make it all happen. Um, so hooray for you, I guess. Uh, article in TechCrunch, and this was a Samsung exec cat the entire plant that makes chips and stuff that stole the juggernaut's confidential semiconductor data to build a copycat chip facility in China. The 65-year-old defendant, who is unnamed, uh, previously worked for a Korean chip maker, SK Hynix, been arrested, has been accused of violating industrial technology protection laws and stealing trade secrets from 2018 to 2019, so over a year, to establish a copy of Samsung's semiconductor plant just one and a half kilometers away from Samsung chip factory in Xi'an, China. I think I said that right. The ex-Samsung execs attempt to build the copycat chip plant allegedly fell through after his backer, purportedly an undisclosed Taiwanese company, canceled more than $6 billion investment into the project, prosecutors said. Instead, he received capital from investors in China and Taiwan to produce trial chip products based on Samsung's technology. The suspect, who's been working in the semiconductor industry for more than 25 years, founded two chip facilities in China and Singapore and hired over 200 semiconductor professionals uh, from Samsung and SK Hynix in South Korea. Prosecutors said the stolen data from Samsung could take its toll of at least 233 million on Samsung. Uh, this is not just a leak of semiconductor technology as the company tried to replicate a whole semiconductor facility, according to prosecutors. It's a serious crime that could lead, uh, could deal a heavy blow to the foundation of domestic semiconductor industry at a time of cutthroat competition for chip production with international competitors. Prosecutors include six other people who are allegedly also ex-Samsung official accomplices. Um, Samsung declined to comment on it. Now, why is this worth paying attention to? Well, do you think that a company as large as Samsung does not have a large investment in insider threat stuff? Do you think that they are not spending lots and lots of money on cybersecurity? Do you think that Samsung is not focused and deeply engaged in trying to protect their intellectual property? I would think and hope that they are. I actually know someone that works on an insider threat program at Samsung, so they have one. This slid past all that stuff for quite a while. But if you look at the totality of what took place there, there's a lot of things that should have been put together, probably would have been well done with a, a system or technology to say, look, here's what happened, here's what occurred. These are, it's kind of the Higgs boson thing of, right, or looking at a black hole. Like you don't see the black hole, you see all the stuff swirling around it going into the black hole, and then you make an assumption. Um, this had to wait and it took a long time and the Samsung lost a quarter of a billion dollars basically with this deal. How often is that happening with other organizations? Um, how often is that happening with other government or financial entities? If there's ever a reason to implement controls and to know what's going on, 
these stories continue to prove that this is what's up. And it's not people have this uh, this dislike of the term zero trust because they think it means you don't trust your employees. It doesn't mean you don't trust your employees. It doesn't mean you don't go have beers with them and whatever else. But what it means is that you don't trust that all these other factors might not contribute to somebody doing things that are less than reputable. People do it all the time. Robert Hansen, uh, there's just plenty of them. The, the, the two folks that were selling submarine secrets or whatever else. Um, and you're not going to catch them because they are validated, verified, usually approved people within an organization by looking at the typical stuff. If you're not looking at the holistic analyses of the entirety of what's going on there, you'll miss it. And they'll get away with a lot of stuff. You may eventually get them because they'll do something dumb or they'll, by some happenstance, run into somebody they shouldn't and things go sideways. But the, the use of analytics and telemetry and insights and behavior and that type of stuff is applicable in this context. It's not draconian to have a business and apply controls and apply analytics and telemetry and metrics and look at what's going on and be able to make an, uh, a, an educated guess and go, okay, cool, we need to go talk to this person or we need to call the feds or whatever else. Um, if you have I don't know how many employees Samsung has, probably 100,000 or more. If you're going to lose that much market share, how, how is your stuff going? How is that loss going to affect your other employees? Is it not worth it to maybe hurt somebody's feelings because you said you need to talk to them about some assets that are taking or some actions that are taking place to stop a potential insider threat type deal? I would think it is. If I'm the CEO and it's my company, it's my duty to protect my employees and their families by kind of the transitive property of families or whatever that is. But the whole thing I'm saying is if I'm the CEO, I have a duty to my people to make sure that we protect what's going on there. The way that I do that in a digital space nowadays is to look and see what's taking place and then act. Um, if you're not doing that, you're doing a disservice to your people and your employees. Can it be draconian? Sure. Is the aim to be draconian? No, but it's worth doing so that you can potentially help other people and save your business. Um, just my two cents. Again, what do I know? Okay, uh, so the last one I want to get into, and this was super interesting, was this uh, uh, AI kidnapping scam copy teen girl's voice for one million. And this was done... Uh, this was reported in global news i threw it up there on the link and the, the lady that actually that this happened to where her daughter was the one that they used her fake voice to do it um, she went and testified in front of congress and you like your heart breaks listening to this lady because she was terrified uh, let me just read you a little bit of of what it says here a mother in arizona was left shaken after she narrowly avoided paying scammers thousands of dollars after they convinced her that they were holding her 15 year old daughter hostage and the mother says it was her voice. Um, the lady's name is DeStefano, recounted that she got a call from an unfamiliar phone number while she was at her other daughter's dance studio. She almost let it go to voicemail, picked it up because her 15-year-old was out of town, and she feared she might have had an accident. I pick up the phone, and this is her talking, and I hear my daughter's voice, and it says, Mom, and she's sobbing. So not only did they deep fake her talking, they deep faked her crying and sobbing and screaming. Uh, to Stefano, the mom said, what happened? And she said, mom, I messed up. And she's sobbing and crying. Then a man's voice came over the call, seeming to order to Stefano's daughter to lie back down. 
the guy, the extortionist gets on the phone. He says, listen, I've got your daughter. This is how it's going to go down. Call the police or call anybody. I'm going to pop her so full of drugs. I'm going to have my way with her. And I'm going to drop her off in Mexico. Uh, and at that moment, if you're a parent, you're freaking out, right? She's just terrified. And in the background, she can hear her daughter's voice screaming and crying. Um, De Stefano says it was her voice. It was her inflection. It was the way she would have cried. The man on the line demanded a million dollars for her daughter's safe return. De Stefano told him she didn't have that much money. Eventually, they went down to 50 grand. So, I mean, pretty big change in money there, but it is what it is. Uh, luckily, the other parents in the room were able to call uh, 911. They got the other daughter on another phone line and they figured out that this was a scam or whatever else. But the point being is that this type of stuff is becoming more uh, commoditized. Um, ransomware, right? Ransomware as a service, phishing as a service, et cetera, et cetera. Extortion as a service, I guess EAAS, is going to become a thing. And um, I have kids. If somebody called me and said that they've got my daughter and it's her voice on the on the on the line screaming, it, we're talking about negotiation. I mean, or whatever we can do. I don't call Liam Neeson and send somebody. But like the the thing is, you're going to react to this. And uh, there's already been instances where CEOs and CFOs have been scammed because they got a call from someone um, that said they needed money transferred and they transferred the money. It's going to continue to get more interesting and more problematic. Um, I, I just be ready. Uh, I mean, honestly, the worst part of this is if it's done well, your ability to respond, your ability to uh, remediate is exceptionally reduced. How are you going to do that when it's your person's, your kid's voice? What if it's your voice? What if it's my voice? Because I'm on the internet all the fucking time. And it wouldn't be hard to do. Like, I know that it's going to happen. But um, these things are, are going to continue to speed up. And we can't put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, there's services out there. I think I looked at the service they talked about for this particular um, uh, type of attack. And I think the, the cost would have been $360 for a year to have a, an ability to clone the voice that way. Um, for 50 grand, would I pay 360 a year? You bet your ass I would if I was an extortionist. So cyber continues to get increasingly crazy. Um, if you haven't read these articles, go read them. I'll put a link to everything in here. Um, I'll throw in the link to my Patreon stuff because, again, I'm raising money for charity. Uh, I try and put content up there as well. And then um, in the very near future, I'm actually going to do a, a video demo of how to use uh, a chat GPT kind of spinoff to do market research that you folks definitely want to know about. Because I have people DM me all the time asking me about my thoughts on a particular technology or topic or capability or whatever else. Why wait in line when you can just go do that yourself? And I'm going to show you how to do that. So, you know, stand by for that stuff. Um, anyway, it's uh, 6.15, not 6.15 the time. It's the sixth month of the year, the 15th day, uh, 1.27 p.m., uh, 27 minutes. So I'm getting on the 30-minute mark this time. As always, stay smart, stay safe, stay secure. Catch you on the next one. Oh, and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there as it's uh, coming up. And if you're not watching the U.S. Open, go watch it because golf is awesome. God bless.
Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.